This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hello, this is Richard Ingebretson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Thank you for listening to our AWLS podcast series. We're always glad when you come in and, and listen to us. Today, I have one of my good friends uh, telling us a story. I met Ben Eder on the Salt Lake County Sheriff Search and Rescue. I am the medical director, and he has a very important story to tell. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. I want to preface this for all listeners. This is a graphic story, so anyone who may be triggered by graphic medical details, maybe this isn't the episode for you. Just some background about me. I am a volunteer rescuer on the Salt Lake County Sheriff Search and Rescue Team in the United, in the United States. I am studying architecture at the University of Utah, and I work at a local architecture firm, Architectural Nexus. I have a border collie whom I love, and I live out of Mill Creek, Utah. I recently picked up ultra running due to the story I'm about to tell you. Here are some key things you need to know about this story. The term chaos means loose rock. Verglass is an alpine phenomenon that is essentially black ice. It forms in high alpine environments when moisture evaporates during the day due to sun exposure and then settles back down on surfaces and freezes at night, forming a thin, nearly invisible layer of ice. A DAI is a diffuse axonal injury, essentially a concussion on steroids to the factor of 100. Post-traumatic amnesia is a transient state of confusion, disorientation, and a massive memory loss that occurs following a traumatic brain injury. The Grand Traverse in Grand Teton National Park, Wyoming, is a link-up of all the major summits in Grand Teton National Park, the Tetons. It is 18 miles of scrambling, alpine effort, and technical climbing. A person who successfully completes the Grand Traverse summits over 12,000 vertical feet of elevation gain. It is the culmination of many different skills, including alpinism, hiking, high alpine rope operations, glissading, and chiefly, climbing. Have I got your attention now? On August 9th, 2022, I was in a major climbing accident that landed me in a coma for 17 days, bilaterally broken wrists, a broken back, multiple intense deep lacerations, and a rehab hospital for two months due to my grade 3 DAI traumatic brain injury, and chiefly rich, broken climbing gear. Here is my story. Late July of 2022, my climbing partner and I decided to take a week and go to the Bugaboos, British Columbia, in Canada. It was perfect weather. Climbing conditions were ideal. We even got to climb the Becky Chenard, which is a massive undertaking and a climbing classic. This really bolstered my enthusiasm and and confidence in the Alpine. While in camp, we got to know some of the people in the area. We really got to know our tent neighbors on rest days. That's where Jeremiah comes into the story. Two or three days after the Bugaboos trip was over, I was back in Salt Lake, and I still had the itch for adventure. Serendipitously enough, I get a call from Jeremiah, the fellow we met in the Applebee campground in the Bugaboos. He asked me to come to the Tetons with him. 
because his partner was injured and down for the count. Jeremiah wanted to tick off the Grand Traverse, as he had two previously failed, failed attempts. So I thought about Jeremiah's invite for less than a day, and I called him back, and I said, Heck yeah, I'm in. Fast forward three days, just ten days after summiting the Becky Chouinard in British Columbia, we were both in Jackson, Wyoming, at 2 a.m., preparing to hike up to Tiwanat to give the Grand Traverse the best shot we could. We made it to the summit of Tiwanat in less than four hours, crushing his last time. Spirits were high, energy was good, we made, the, we made the rappels look like easy work, but after that, things went a little sideways. Upon approaching the Coven Kular, I guess I slipped, or tripped, or the rock gave way, or something happened. I'm not really sure, as I suffered post-traumatic amnesia resulting in massive memory loss. I ended up falling about three to 400 feet off the ridge. I tumbled down the side of a mountain, and by luck, good planning, or whatever, somehow, I didn't die. To this day, neither me nor Jeremiah knows why I fell. Jeremiah was in front of me, and it will bother me until the day I die. Why did I fall? I have some good guesses. Remember Choss? Remember Verglass? Those are the top two on my list. Luckily enough, I was still wearing my helmet when the incident occurred. I'd put it on for the approach, as I always would while approaching alpine environments, and I had also packed a good first aid kit, because I'm a WEMT on Salt Lake County SAR. I broke both wrists, my scaphoid in my right wrist, my ulna in my left wrist, I had a compression fracture between my T6 and T7, my L5 in my back, and I had a grade 3 diffuse axonal injury, traumatic brain injury. Now, it's hard to know when the healing ends, because aren't we all healing from something? However, my neurologist said they can't defect any cognitive defects anymore. So I guess I'm back to normal, which, quite frankly, Rich, never happens. I have done quite a bit of in-depth research into grade 3 DAI TBI recoveries like my own, and this recovery never happens. It often takes years for patients who suffered traumatic brain injuries to return to a functional level. Now, I don't mean to toot my own horn, Rich, but in 2023, I ran five marathons, including an ultramarathon. For the record, I was never a runner before my accident. Now, this never happens. I mean, who goes from being in a coma to running a nearly sub-four-hour marathon six months later. Setting aside my own personal achievements, my biggest takeaway from my accident is I would like to positively change disability design. I have no long-term physical or mental disabilities other than limited to essentially no feeling in my right foot due to my brain injury. But I have experienced a wheelchair. I have been a wheelchair user. And the world, our world, your world, Rich, this built world is not designed for wheelchair users. Our world is not designed for inclusivity. That's what drives my desire for positive change in accessibility design. I have experienced our world from this perspective, and I want it to change. I have a visceral need for change. 
I've learned quite a bit from my accident. The preciousness and value of life, freedom, independence, and mobility. Here are some important lessons that I've learned that I would like to share with you all. The expert halo is real. I am of the opinion that it is important to prep psychological first aid by consistently going to therapy because the best way to help others is to help yourself first. From the woofer on scene assessment, who's number one? You're number one. So go to therapy. Don't ever climb alone. Soloing? Rope soloing? Silly. If I had been alone, I would have suffocated and died from aspirating my own blood. Don't climb alone. Ever. Live every day to the fullest. Appreciate being alive, aware, oriented, and all the gifts you have from life. Because isn't being alive the biggest gift of all? But I think the most crucial lesson I've learned from this incident is extreme empathy for others. Now, I've been on both sides. The rescuer and the rescued. It is vital crucial that we care for others and understand their lived experience. How can we seek to understand everyone's lived experience? How can we improve the lives for the better of everyone? What daily choices can we make to make everyone's lives better? How can we have a positive impact on the world given the frankly short time that we're here? These, Rich, are the questions I ask myself every day when I wake up in the morning. Ben, I, I don't know what to say uh, after that. Uh, you ended that story so uh, eloquently and beautifully, and uh, you've turned a very dark and horrible experience into a positive one for our listeners to uh, do better. Um, I have a challenge now to uh, ask questions that I think they would want me to ask and things that they're thinking, but one of the first ones that comes to my mind is... Uh, you, you didn't get into a lot of detail about the recovery in the hospital. What what took place, and when you woke up, where were you, and what happened? Sure. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, Rich. Um, I, I I look at this as an opportunity to share my lived experience with all of you, in a hope that you can walk away from this with some new lessons learned about life. Um, to your question, what did I learn? from the hospital and from my recovery. Yeah, waking up from a coma, Rich, isn't what it's like in the movies. You don't suddenly wake up in the hospital, look around, and know exactly what happened to you, and you look great. You know, I, I lost 30 pounds. I, I couldn't feel my right leg. Um, I, both my wrists were wrapped up. But chiefly, I was in a deep state of confusion. You know, um, referring back to that... Post-traumatic amnesia, uh, I, I was in a deep state of confusion. I didn't know what had happened to me. Um, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know who was around me. I couldn't recognize my family. You know, I, I was in a deep state of confusion. And I think that, that in and of itself, that experience is wholly different from what you see on TV. W waking up from a coma on TV is this beautiful moment of glistening shininess. In real life, it's weeks of hard work, relearning how to walk, relearning how to talk, how to write again, how to read, how to eat, how to use your hands. 
there's there's a, a, a deep process involved in real life, separate of TV. One thing that comes to my mind now, Ben, and it may be a dumb question, but were you in a lot of pain, physical pain? Yeah, Rich. I, um, you know, because of this post-traumatic amnesia, I didn't know what had happened to me. And it took a lot of repeating the story to me by other people to, to convince me that I had been in a climbing accident. That's, that's why I was in the hospital. And I, that explained a lot of this pain that I was experiencing. You know, I couldn't tell you at the time why my back hurt, but I just, I knew that my back had hurt and why my wrist hurt. It, it didn't make sense to me that I had fallen 300 feet and now I'm here in the hospital in Salt Lake City and the last thing I remember is I'm in the Tetons attempting to do the Grand Traverse and now all of a sudden it, A and B didn't make sense. It didn't add up and yes, I had, I was in extreme pain, Rich. I, you know, my back hurt, my wrists hurt, my head hurt all the time. You know, the people who've not gone through this and uh, I am a physician and uh, I see trauma and we just assume that if a bone heals, everybody's fine. But we don't always look at the obvious, and that's the traumatic stress, the post-traumatic stress, and all the emotional recovery of being in a wheelchair and all the pain and all the suffering. Tell us about that. Do you go back and climb, and, and how are you coping with all that? Yeah, Rich, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm taking a bit of a break, an extended break from climbing right now because I, I just... There's a lot of fear associated with climbing, a lot of fear and a lot of TBI symptoms. You know, whenever I climb now, I get I get deep vertigo. I look down and I get dizzy. And it's hard for me to differentiate whether that's TBI or PTSD related. And I don't really want to find out, quite frankly. And so I've picked up ultra running. As I said before, I've picked up running. And I find that to be a good outlet for all of my energy because I can just go and run for as long as I want to, as hard as I want to, and just see where I see where I go and see where that takes me. And I think that's a good outlet for, for a substitute for climbing. You had significant post-traumatic amnesia, and you now have post-traumatic stress, and that always comes with triggers. Uh, are you trying to discover what happened? And, and as you do, do you get uh, these triggers, these uh, post-traumatic stress, anxiety? Yeah, Rich, um, that's a good question. Um, directly related to what I was talking about before, which is your mental health. You can't, your mental health is so important. You can't take care of anyone else if you don't take care of yourself. And that's all I've been focused on for the last year is my own recovery. But to your question about post-traumatic amnesia and trying to figure out what had happened to me, um, you know, people ask me, do I remember what it's like being in a coma? No, I don't remember what it's like being in a coma. You know, I went from August 9th of 2022 to being in the hospital in October of 2022. And I had missed about August and September. I'd missed about two months of my life. And I don't remember what it's like being in a coma. But I do remember what it's like coming out of a coma and what that experience is like. And it's visceral and it's very difficult. And I, I have empathy for all of those with traumatic brain injuries because it's it's a difficult process. But in the process of trying to figure out what had happened to me prior to the coma, um, I, I've talked to many different people. I've talked to the rescuers on the search and rescue team in Grand Teton National Park to try and parcel out the story. I've interviewed over and over my climbing partner. 
I've even listened to the 911 phone call, the phone recording that my climbing partner made at the time. And I've played it back over and over trying to figure out what had happened to me. And it's just, it's an interesting perspective to listen to yourself dying over a 911 recording and now being quite frankly alive and well and super, super high functioning today. It's, it's difficult. It's a difficult, it's difficult to listen to yourself aspirating your own blood dying on this 911 phone call and be where I am today and try and navigate the world. I mean, and this is what I tell to all of you listeners is appreciate every day and everything the world has to offer to you because it can end and you don't know when. Ben, I know you're back on the SAR team. How was that like uh, rejoining and becoming a rescuer? Yeah, Rich, I, I think that um, my own accident has really adjusted my perspective on safety. You know, I considered myself to be a pretty safe person before my own accident. But now, with my own value of life and my own life, I, I hesitate to even enter back into the field um, because I can't take care of anyone else if I don't take care of myself. And there's no point in dying over someone else's mistake. So I think it, you know, being back on the search and rescue team has really adjusted my perspective on personal safety and the safety of myself and my team members because I'm just not, I'm not willing to die anymore over someone else's mistake. There's a, a large school of thought now to recover both physically but also mentally with traumatic stress is to get back out into the activities and push yourself uh, quickly and as fast as you can. What are your thoughts on that and how that may have helped you? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Rich. Um, you know, that that uh, that thought of exposure therapy comes from this, this concept of cognitive behavioral therapy. And, um, you know, I'm an advocate of it. However, to the extent of what's within your threshold and what's within your personal limits. And I will expose myself in, to terrain in the Alpine, but within my own threshold. So, for example, you know, I ran this summer, I ran an ultra marathon in the in the alpine in the backcountry in the tusher mountain range in southern utah in the united states and i think that was a great opportunity to expose myself to the alpine environment while running in frankly a lot safer terrain and what's funny rich you'll love this i wore a helmet during that marathon so i ran the entire marathon with a helmet on and i think it, it's you know it's nice to expose myself to that terrain and to get over that fear but to an extent, to an extent. I did not know until right now that you wore a helmet when you ran a marathon. Tell us about your views on helmet safety. Yeah, Rich. Um, you know, I am the biggest pain in the ass about helmet safety now. Um, you know, my friends, they can't, they can't even ride a bike anymore without me saying, put your helmet on first. You know, I, I, I leave the house now with my helmet on, either metaphorically or in reality. If I'm going for a run in the Alpine, I'll wear my helmet because that makes me feel better. And I think that's a therapeutic technique that I can use as kind of a safety blanket to reinforce this recovery. Because like I said earlier, we're all healing. We're all healing from something. And when does healing start and when does healing end? And I think for me, healing is continuous. Which was uh, more difficult in your recovery, the physical or the psychological mental recovery? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Boy, uh, no one's asked me that one before. I think that in, in the immediate, in the short term, right, if we look at the, 
the microcosm of that immediate recovery period in the hospital, the physical recovery was absolutely, you know, more difficult than the mental recovery. However, the physical is over now. You know, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm very strong now. And so now begins the hard work of the mental recovery. And as I'll, I'll keep repeating, when does recovery end? Aren't we all recovering from something? We're all healing from something. And when does it start and when does it end? And I think for me, my own healing journey says that I'm still recovering, you know, to, de- to, to, to this day, I'm still recovering. I mean, sometimes I even wake up thinking that I'm falling. I have this feeling in my stomach that I'm falling, but I'm not, I'm laying in bed. And so when does recovery start and when does it end? Well, I don't know, Rich. I think I'm still recovering today. I know uh, it must have been absolutely horrible for your family and your friends to see you in the situation. How are they holding up of this now? And, and do they get nervous when you go out? Yeah, um, you know, I will speak specifically to my mom. Hi, mom. I love you. Thank you for listening. Um, I'll speak specifically to her experience because she was there. She was she was my number one advocator in the hospital. I think my mom my mom loves me and she, you know, she still gets nervous whether I'm driving in the car or whether I'm going out for a run and or whether I'm climbing in the climbing gym. And I I, I attribute 99% of my recovery to my mom and to my family because as shown in the literature, TBI good TBI recoveries have proven to be backed by familial support. You know, they're, they're listening to you and talk, and they can hear your voice, but how old were you when this accident happened? Yeah, uh, sure. So I'm 25 now. When, 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 I, when the accident happened, I was 24. Um, so this was, what, a year and a half ago, about a year-ish ago? You were clearly in a very good physical shape when this happened. Uh, um, did that help significantly in your mental and physical recovery? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you look at if you look at the literature alone, good pre-prognostic conditions um, often dictate the outcome for TBI recoveries. And so, when I ask myself why am I lucky enough to have such a good outcome, that's because I, quite frankly, I eat well, I take care of myself, I I think that my physical health is of the utmost importance, setting aside everything else except for the love for, for my family and for my dog. You know, I, 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 I like to take care of myself, and I think that is of the utmost importance. And so my lesson, my other lesson to share with all of you listeners is take care of yourself, eat well, and stay healthy. Yeah, I think in closing, Rich, I, I, this has been a beautiful opportunity to share my lived experience with you and with the listeners. But I think what I hope all of you take away from this is have more empathy. Have more empathy for yourself. Have more empathy for the people in your life. Have more empathy for everyone in the in your world. Because, man, you only get one shot at this, and then it's over. And live every day to the fullest, because you never know when it could end. And it could end tomorrow. And, you know, I get the question frequently, do I regret going to the Tetons? Do I regret this accident? And the answer I have started to give now is, no, I can't live a life of regret. I'm actually glad that this accident happened because it has provided me with this new perspective and this joy for life that I did not have before and that I'm so grateful to have at age 25, which is, quite frankly, a young age. Relative to the rest of my life, I can move the rest of my life 
with more intention and provide more good to the world because of this experience and having this perspective. Thank you, Ben, for those uh, inspiring words uh, that will motivate all of us who have listened to this podcast today. It was uh, an incredible uh, experience to hear you speak and to make us think about our own lives in a whole new way. Well, this ends this podcast on this experience in the Tetons with Ben Eater. Thank you for listening.